started. <clears throat> Romans chapter number 3. And uh, we're going to start a new chapter this morning. And then we come to the, the, the fourth plea here of the defense um, uh, for humanity. And within this plea, there are going to be three objections raised. Uh, and again, we're standing in the courtroom. And uh, the defense has been arguing, and the prosecution, Paul, has been counter-arguing back, <laughs> refuting and rebutting. And now here, they're going to stand now in probably the greatest sign of desperation. He's gonna, they're gonna, man's going to st- stand. And again, they've already laid out the issue in chapter 2 of self-righteousness, the defense of self-righteousness, where they say, wait a minute, I'm not as bad as God claims I am. And if that doesn't work, I'm not as bad as that guy. He's worse than me. Then he moves to the two groups between the Gentiles and the Jews. And in the Gentiles, they stand in that, that the, the second uh, plea there where they claim ignorance of the law. The law wasn't given to us, so you can't hold us accountable of something you never gave us. And uh, <laughs> Paul says, well, by nature you did the things of the law, so you're guilty. Then last time we started there in chapter 2, verse 17, and we looked at the claim of the Jew, uh, and really this is the religious guy. Because not only do the Jews do this, but some of us dumb thump Gentiles do this as well that go to church. Wait a minute, I'm one of God's people. So they claim immunity. I'm one of the chosen ones. I'm one of the elect ones. I'm, you know, they begin to just dole it out here. And they begin to claim, I should be free from the judgment of God because don't you know my daddy built that church and we've been going there, you know, and they just lay out their religiousosity. And for the Jew, they hide behind their ancestry. By the way, so does a Gentile. They hide behind the law. We're, we're teachers of the laws. We have the law. And yet, what does Paul say to them? Yeah, but you broke the law. You, you know, you had it and you're not doing it. The Gentiles didn't get it, and they're doing it, you know. And then they hide behind the ceremony. And Paul says, no, circumcision, the ceremony, there has, again, nothing to do with it. You're guilty. And now you come to chapter 3 here, and the defense is going to raise one more objection. And really what they're going to do here now is they're, again, this is probably the most deplorable one out of the severe desperation that man is in because now man is going is going to call the character the veracity the integrity of God into question you've seen that in court cases where you think about a rape case one of the toughest ones to to really deal with and what do they usually do? They go after the victim, don't they? What kind of lifestyle did she live and, or he live? or what? And then they begin to poke holes. Well, if they were promiscuous, well, then they deserve what they got. And again, that's 
What, is, what does the defense do? What does the prosecution do? That's what man is doing with God now. As well as Paul, by the way, because Paul's God's guy. Okay, So now man is going to begin to question. He's going to begin to accuse God. And he's going to do it in, in who God is and what right does God have to level charges against me anyway? Because they're still in chapter 123 mode. Go back to chapter 1, verse 23. What are they doing? They changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. They've deglorified God. They're taking God and they're carnalizing him. And they're changing and, and bringing God down because what man begins to do is man begins to think that God thinks like man thinks. So if he's so they're again they're attacking him. If you come over into chapter three, there's going to be three areas of attack here that, that's going to happen. And really, again, they're they're putting God on the witness stand. That's what they're doing. And they're attacking him. They're judging God. And what they're trying to show is that God can't be trusted. That he's a, he's a twisted God. He's, he's a sicko. He's a sadomasochist. He, he's demented. How, how in the world could you let... How does, in the world does he think he can do this to us? So what you begin to see here in chapter 3... Is the closing argument case time, if you will, and you see that pure desperation of man trying to say that God has no right to judge him because he's as sick as we are. And again, if you look there in chapter 3, just look at verse 3. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? That's the first attack, the first objection. They're going to attack the faithfulness of God. You can't trust him. You know why? He keeps changing the rules on us. He keeps moving the goalpost. So God is really unfaithful. That issue there about the faith of God without effect, without effect to be void, to, ha to have no meaning in it. He's, he's just like you and I are. You see, man... They think God thinks like man thinks. Yet God's faithfulness is where? Outside of man. It has nothing to do with whether man's faithful or not. He's faithful. The second attack, verse 5. But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh, advan uh, taketh vengeance? Now notice the parenthesis. I speak as a what? Isn't that interesting? Paul puts that in there. Because what is man going to attack here? The righteousness of God. They, they come along and they say, see, look, God needs us to be unrighteous. So how in the world can he take, it, take out vengeance on us when he needs us to be unrighteousness? He needs us in that category. Because you see, when we get down there, I'll repeat this because I'm thinking about it. You see, the more unrighteous I am, the more righteous he becomes. So he needs me to be the worst of the worst so he can appear to be the what? The, the best. 
The fourth one is in verse seven, or the third one is in verse seven. For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? There they attack the truth of God, the truthfulness. Ultimately, they're claiming that God is, he's the source and the cause of all the evil, of all the sin. And you know what? He made me this way. He made, you know, a couple years ago when uh, all of the gay rights stuff was going through, I was made this way. I was created this way. You know, I was born this way. There it is right there. You know who made me this way? God did. He made me this way. So as we come into chapter 3, and we're kind of wind. By the way, this is like lesson 30 <laughs> to get through two chapters. <laughs> and starting the third chapter here. Yeah, I'd hang my head too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. We, but we'll, 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 we're going to speed up a little bit, I promise. <laughs> and, uh, but you just have to see what's going on here. Man's desperation, that's where we're at. They're going to call, go back to verse 1, they're going to call the Lord... And they're going to attack his faithfulness. He can't be trusted. They're going to attack his righteousness. He made us unrighteous so that he can be righteous. And then they're going to attack his truthfulness. And basically, he made me what I am. He made me this way. So how in the world can he judge me as a sinner? They're going to put God on the stand. And again... They're doing it in order to disqualify him. And then ultimately they're doing it to disqualify Paul. Because Paul is the, it's my gospel. It's the gospel of Christ back in chapter 1 verse 16. It's the gospel that God gave me to give to all of humanity, all nations, everybody now. So if we can disqualify that and these guys, then guess what? We might just be able to get around the judgment of God, see. Verse 16 of chapter 2, he's going to judge the secrets of men by who? By, my, by Christ, according to my gospel. And that issue, those issues that I told you about, about what Paul's gospel teaches us. The law can't do it. You can't do it. The only response God's ever going to accept is faith. So, again, God being who God is, he hears man out. He lets man go. By the way, you're in chapter 3. Ultimately, down there in verse 19 and 20, you know what God says? Shut up. You're done talking now. You're all, it's, it's done. Here's the verdict. He's let man have his say. They've laid out their, their, their defense strategy. They've come along and they've said, hey, wait a minute. I'm not as bad as him. I didn't get the law. I, I'm of a good family. <laughs> I'm, I, have the, I have my ancestry here. And then they say, and oh, by the way, God, you don't qualify. Because you know what? You're, you're just as bad as we are. And you know what the, Paul's in chapter 3, verse 9, What then are we better than they know and no wise? For we have before, that word proved, We've proved our case. By the way, chapter 9, 9 to 20 is the closing arguments of the prosecution. 
And then the verdict, the guilty verdict, I'll just tell you, they're guilty, okay? Just in case you were wondering, <laughs> they're guilty, all right? And uh, he says, hey, you know what we've proved? We've proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. In the closing arguments here, chapter 3, verse 1, Paul begins to, again, rebuke and so, uh, rebuttal and say, hang on a minute, <laughs> You know, the defense has their say. Paul stands, you know, all right, here's the, the we're going to refute that now. Notice, if you will, verse 1. What advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Much ver every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Now, you have to remember the context. Coming out of chapter 2, verse 17 up there. Paul's been dealing with the Jews. Verse 17, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God, knowest his will, approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. Verse number 25, For circumcision verily profit if you keep the law. There's that issue of circumcision, that issue of them being a Jew and having a law. And as we went down through this last time, what Paul is doing is he's proving that they can't hide behind their ancestry. They can't hide behind the law. They can't hide behind the ceremonies and all because a Jew is one inwardly, verse 29 there. It's a hard issue. And what the Jews have missed is what their true advantage has always been. And that's what chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 is doing here. As then they're going to pull God up on the stand, Paul stands, wait a minute, you guys are missing the advantage that you had. You think the advantage is in your ancestry and the law and the ceremony. And it, it is not, because what did all that prove? Nothing. You're guilty. What was the advantage that they had? The oracles of God. They had the word of God. Now, come over to chapter 9, just, just to kind of put this in your mind. Chapter 9, the first five verses. Here's the advantage of the Jew. Chapter 9, and when we get over in Romans 9, 10, and 11 in about five years, um, we'll, <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> when we get over there, we'll spend a lot of time going through this, because I'll be honest with you, Outside of understanding Romans 6, 7, and 8, Romans 9, 10, and 11 is probably some of the most abused passages known in the, in the gray circles because of a lack of understanding of what he's doing with them. Most believers stop at the end of Romans 5. They never get into the grace life of 6, 7, and 8 and identities and living and how to do. And, and then they, so they skip 6, 7, and 8 and they jump into 9, 10, and 11, think they're going to rock the world, and they just butcher it. It's, it's, it, uh, anyway, verse 1, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were a curse for my, for, from Christ, for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Think about who Paul was. He's a Pharisee of the Pharisee, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin. What better person to tell the Jew, you blew it. You can't trust in your ancestry, your law degrees, and your ceremonies. The Pharisee of the Pharisees did that. He's the one that says you can't do that. You lost. You're guilty. Verse 4. Who are Israelites? To whom pertaineth? 
Who's going to get the adoption? Who does the adoption pertain to? Israel. Who does the glory pertain to? Israel. Who does the covenants pertain to? Israel. Where was, who was the giving of the law to? Israel. Who's getting the advantage here? Israel. See? Who are the promises for? Israel. Who's the, who, who do the fathers belong to? Israel. Who concerning, whom all, as concerning the flesh, Christ came. When Christ came in the flesh, who did he come to? I came not. I came not. I didn't go to the Gentiles. I went to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Who is over all God blessed. For, so what's their advantage? The everything. They had it. You go over there to Ephesians 2, verse 11 and 12, circumcision, uncircumcision. What's our disadvantage? That we're aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. We're strangers from the covenants of promise. We're, we have, we're without God. We have no hope. I kind of butchered the list up, but I think you get the point. <laughs> okay? That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens, aliens, you know, that's not the little Martian hat and the little green people, you know. <laughs> it's an alien. You don't belong. You're illegal. This wasn't about you. Strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God. Boy, what a tough way to be. So when you come back to Romans 3, 1 and 2, Paul's like, guys, you had, you're missing your advantage. Your advantage is that you had the Word of God. That was their real advantage. Come over to uh, Matthew 4. Go back here to Matthew 4. Matthew chapter 4. Notice their advantage. Matthew 4, verse 4. Matthew 4, verse 4. Notice their advantage. Uh, to me, this is wonderful. They, they come along here. They, the Jews are so worried about the law and keeping the ceremonies and all that stuff and the ancestries that they blew it. Matthew 4, verse 4, And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. How's man to live? By every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Right? That's the issue of inspiration. God breathed the words. Come back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 8, this is the quote that the Lord is, is quoting from, Deuteronomy 8. Give you a little more detail here. Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. Deuteronomy 8, 3. <clears throat> Moses is talking here and giving some warnings and so forth to, to uh, Israel. And he says in verse 3, And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know. Can you imagine when manna showed up and he says, here, I'm going to feed you, and, the, and that, that cornbread from heaven fell, you know, the angel's food, the corn of heaven. By the way, you've got to understand what corn means, okay? But, you know, corn and they go, what is this? A little sweet cake, you know? It's like, man, what is this? But what was it? It wasn't the component it was what God providing for them. Jehovah, fill in, the black, fill in the blank. I am, boom, whatever you need me to be. But then he says that he, may, he might make thee know 
that man doth not live by bread only. Notice why the manna came. The manna, the whole situation came so that man would learn to do what? Not live by bread alone, but by live by what? Every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. You know what he was doing with Israel? He was teaching them, you know what your advantage is? You got my word. Nobody else has that. Nobody got that. You got my word. Come over to Psalms 147, the end of the book of Psalms. Not quite the last, but the end. Psalms 147. You see, folks, what Paul's doing in Romans 3 is he's like, okay, you guys, have, you think you were advantage? You missed the boat. <laughs> you had the, the, thy word is what? Life. It's truth. It's life-giving. Sanctify them with thy word. Give them life, man. And they missed it. Psalms 147, verse 19, he showeth his word unto Jacob, his statutes and his judgments unto Israel. He hath not dealt so with any nation. Wow. He didn't go give the word to the Gentiles. He gave the word, his word where? To Israel. And as for his judgments, you go back to Daniel, or I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 5, all those judgments and, and commandments, they have not known them. Praise ye the Lord. We come over to Psalm 78. You see, clearly, they were hiding behind their ancestry, the law, their ceremonies, circumcision, all of that. And what did God really want? He wanted their heart. So he gave them the, his word. And that's what Paul's doing. Paul's proving they messed up. Psalm 78, 78 1, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Woo. Verse 4. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who shall arise and declare them to their children. He's talking about the words, my words coming out of, the words of my mouth coming out of the end of verse 1. You know what you're to do with them? You're to give them to your kids, and your kids are going to give them to your grandkids, and your grandkids are going to give them to the great-grandkids, and it's just to carry it out. Pass it on. So when you come back to Romans 3, when he says, hey, look, guys, you're, the no, notice verse 1. What advantage then hath the Jew? No advantage to being a Jew today, is there? No, the Jews hide behind that ancestry, that claim, but there's no advantage. What advantage or what profit is there of circumcision? Is there a profit of circumcision? Galatians 5, Galatians 6 says, no, there's not. By the way, only Paul can say that because <laughs> he was both. So then what advantage do they have? Verse 2. They have the what? The oracles of God. I love that word oracle. Back when we first got started 
here we had a little newsletter that I was trying to kind of get going and it, I think I got five or six little issues written and it just went you know on its face and I called it the oracles of grace and uh, the oracles uh, by, uh, dictionary definition to proclaim by divine inspiration you know they say oh and, and by the way in all of religions out there and occults they have oracles you never notice that oh we're going to go to the oracle you know they're going to tell us well oracles of God Hear that. here's the word breathed right from God and he says you know what that's your real advantage. Not being a Jew, not being of the circumcision, not having all of that. The real advantage is, is you had the book. And guess what happened? You dropped the ball. Verse 3. First objection. Four. What if some did not believe? See, now, again, we got the Lord's up on the stand. He's being accused and cross-examined. What if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? If you don't believe, does that make the faithfulness of God without effect? No vo void, no value. The answer is no. Why? Because God does not. His faithfulness is not reliant upon you. <laughs> if you're... What man is saying here is, if, if I'm less faithful, then is God, to going, to, is God going to be less faithful? If, if I'm going to be more faithful, is God going to be more faithful? You see, he thinks like, he, they have this thought about God thinks like man thinks. Problem is, is what are they doing? Chapter 1, verse 23, they're taking the glory of God and bringing him down to corruptible man. That, that parenthesis there at the end of verse 5, I speak as a man. They're thinking about God the way man would think. They're saying he's got the same thinking process as we do. So you know what? You can't trust God to be faithful. Because look at what he just did. He changed the rules. He said you got to be a Jew. Now a Jew's no good. He said you got to keep the law. Now you don't even do the law no more. He said you got to do this. And now you got to And would he please make up his mind? See, man, you folks, if you talk to anybody, this stuff comes up. All you got to do is talk to your unsaved neighbor. Okay? I didn't pull out. I was going to we're going to spend like five hours looking at all the different, not really, I'm just kidding, you know, of all the different things that people say. And because this is the, I, I, in, in Scripture, the study of Scripture, you find Paul make broad categorical statements. And then later he'll add little things under each category. That's what this is. Here's the broad category of the accusation against God. He's unfaithful. How can he do that? So what does Paul say? The next verse. Verse 4. God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that, that thou mightest justify in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. Oh, look at that. They're judging God. See that? And what does Paul say? Hey, 
You're a liar. God is, is true. You see, man comes along and says, you can't trust God to be faithful to his word. He gave us the law, now he condemns people by that law. He, gave, he, he, he created Israel, now you can't, now what, what is it really to be a Jew now? He done said one outwardly, no, one inwardly, yes, but, you know, hello. You can't even be circumcised anymore, because that doesn't matter. So they object. Wait a minute. Come back to Psalms 51. Wait a minute. We object. Would the witness please make up his mind? And Paul stands and says, wait a second. Let God be true and every man a liar. And what's really going on here, your honor, is that man is judging God. And is using a, a fallible tactic. So he quotes Psalms 51.4, which is an interesting verse. Psalms 51, verse 4. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned. Now, okay, so what do we got? Well, David, right? If you look under, hopefully in your Bible you have these. <laughs> under 51 you should have some, like a postscript, some in, Okay, ascription to the chief musician, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Right? I hope you have that. If you don't, you need to get a new Bible. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you need to. You need to have these are critical because what's the scenario going on here? What's going on? David and Bathsheba got together. Nathan now is on the scene, and you know what Nathan says? Ah, uh, you messed up. <laughs> You, bad boy. <laughs> have mercy, verse 1, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to thy, under the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. And when we get over in Romans 4, we're going to see, bless, where David's going to say, blessed is the man into whom the Lord will not impute uh, sins and iniquities. And why? Because God's going to forgive David, and David has no clue on the basis of why, because you know what the law said? You ought to kill him. And the king is not above the law. Kill him. Because not only did he commit adultery, he committed murder. He should be dead. But, but you know what David did? What every king should have done. He went to Nathan, his prophet, and said, go talk to the Lord. I messed up. we got to get this right. Nathan did. Nathan comes back and says, this is what you got to do. And you know what David did? He did it. So he garnered the forgiveness. So verse 4, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. See, when God judges, he's to be what? Clear. He's to be doing the truth. See that? So when Paul brings it up, notice five, uh, Romans 3, 4, he says, quotes it, that thou mightest be justified. By the way, justified, declared to be right. Okay, they justified the, uh, the Lord there in Luke. The publicans and the sinners justified God being baptized of John's baptism. They said, yep, God's right. We've got to do this. David says, listen, when you sit, Lord, you are to be right. Now, Paul kind of spins it. And says, hey, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and might overcome when thou art, what? Judge. 
Lord, you got to be right when you're judged. So you got to be, we're going to speak the truth. Do you see what Paul did there? He said, hey, and he's quoting Psalms 51, and he just kind of spins it around a little bit to say, hey, <laughs> when you're, ju- you're going to be judged, God, and when you let it, like God be true and every man a liar. Verse 5, back to Romans 3. Paul's response is God is faithful, independent of whether man believes or not. He didn't change the rules. He didn't cheat. He's not a liar. He's not unworthy. He's not unreliable. He is faithful. Okay? The defense stands and says, okay, next question, verse 5. But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. What? Notice that. If our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God. Man says, you know what? Our unrighteousness commends the righteousness of God. This is a competition. And God needs us to be on. The more I'm unrighteous, the more righteous he is. So he needs me to be unrighteous. So how dare God come now in vengeance, punish me for my unrighteousness when he needs me to be on that wall. <laughs> he needs me to be, he, that's from the movie, okay? A few good men, come on, keep up. You guys ought to know me by now. I mean, <laughs> right? You don't, might know, you don't need to worry about the movie. Just, uh, I talked to a gentleman this, this week, uh, down and uh, he's like, yeah. I said, you got to know me by now. You've been listening to me for years. You said, you know, and my sense of humor is what it is. Anyway, man is sitting there going, hey, how dare you? How? How can God? Is God unrighteous? Who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. How in the world? God, it's a competition, don't you know? And you know what? God is not in competition with man. At all. That's why Paul throws that I speak as a man, because what does man think? We're competing. The more I'm righteous, the better he... Yeah, (laughs) that's ultimately what he's doing. That's the next verse, 7. See? Verse 6, God forbid. Paul's Paul's response, verse 4, first words, God forbid. Verse 6, what? God forbid. That ain't true. You're not thinking about this correctly, man, sinner, humanity. You're not Jew, Gentile. You're thinking incorrectly here. For then how shall God judge the world? You see, how? I think about this. You get a classroom of 20 kids. They all take a test. The teacher just gives everybody an A. Doesn't grade the test, just everybody in A. Take the same, same 20 and different teacher, and he gives one person an A and everybody else an F. What do the F people say 
It's what? Unfair. How can God judge that? How, if God's being unfair, see, what does Paul say? God forbid. How does he judge the world? He does it on his righteousness. Do you have perfect righteousness? We've already been through that. Chapter 1, chapter 2. Again, go back to verse 18. The crux of the matter when we got started. Verse 17, sorry. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith. When we started this section, I told you in verse 17, you and I, when we talk about the gospel of Christ, we go to our benefits and our security in it and all the great things that happen to us. Paul doesn't do that. He starts initially with the righteousness of God. That's what's on the line here. How in the world does God judge the, the world? Verse number 6. He does it by his what? Righteousness. Why? Because his righteousness is not tied to you. It's tied to his integrity, to him. You follow what's going on here? Paul just, they haven't even got the word up and Paul's already standing. I think about the courtroom, you know, Perry Mason. You know? I just think about the courtroom and, and boom, he's, and the judge hasn't even got, uh, and he's already up. No, God forbid. Boom, bam, you know, boom. And, uh, the, okay, calm down. <laughs> All right, I'll reword the question, Your Honor. <laughs> Verse 7, the third objection. For if the truth of God hath more abundantly through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? Oh, my goodness. Look at, again, the desperate. I hope you see the desperation of humanity here. They were doing okay by saying, you know what, I'm not as bad as Paul. Paul's a pretty bad guy. I'm not as bad as God said I am. See, that's easy to deal with. He says, I didn't get the law. How dare you call me to something that wasn't even given to me? Wait a minute, you mean my ancestry and my... I claim immunity. Now we're desperate because what's happened at each one of the pleas, it's been, they've been proven to be guilty, guilty, guilty. Now, the, the, probably the most deplorable of them all is here in verse 7, where they attack the truth. Because what they're saying there is, is who created Satan? Who created evil? Who made Adam? Who let Adam sin? Don't you know God did? God made evil. God made sin. God made Adam sin. So why am I being judged as a sinner? That stinks of desperation. That's what he's saying. I'm who I am. I'm a sinner. Because God did it that way on purpose. Ooh. Ouch. And you know what? Verse 7. If the truth of God hath more, what? Abounded through my lie... You know what? The more I sin, the more God gets to show off His grace. 
Don't we have a verse like that over in chapter 6? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? You ever wonder where that came from in people's thinking? Right here. Because what's man doing? Wait a minute. The more I sin, the more I get, the more I'm unrighteous, the more he looks good. So you know what, God? I'm doing you a favor by being a sinner. See what a great guy I am? Come on, Lord. You know, I'm doing you. It's not, but yet you keep saying I'm at fault. God had to make Adam sin. Why? So he could show humanity. He could shower humanity with his love. Now that's, I speak as a man, okay? All right? There's a quote. I wrote it down years ago. I, don't, I didn't write down who said it, but it says, Love cannot be lavished on those who are deserving. But love is lavished on the undeserving. Isn't that interesting? Now watch verse 8. And not rather, as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come whose damnation is just. Now, that's what it is. I'm doing good, so God can get bigger and so forth. But what I want you to see is how Paul brings in the fact that not only are they attacking the Lord, they are also attacking, attacking Paul. Look at the parenthesis carefully. As we be slanderously reported... And as some affirm that we say. You, see, you know what people are doing? They're going around saying, you know what Paul's preaching? Easy believism, baby. It's all free. You don't have to do anything. All you've got to do is believe. Don't you know that without doing the works of the law, you can't be, circum you can't be saved? Now, is that what Paul's saying? Not necessarily, is it? Is it easy? Is, is it, easy? It's, it is just to believe. But there's so much more going on. See, they've, as we slanderously report, slander, they're telling lies about Paul. They're saying Paul says one thing and he's out there doing another. See, come over to 2 Timothy 2. So what Paul... He, he's gotten pulled in. And, and, and by the way, are you still there in Romans? Romans 1. Who is Paul? Why would man bring Paul into the equation? Romans 1.1. 1, 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Who's the guy now? That God's using. Paul is. Paul says, hey, you're going to judge according to the secrets of, of, according to my gospel. Now it's the gospel of Christ. 
We're not dealing with Israel anymore, 2 Timothy 2. We're dealing with who? We're dealing with all mankind. That's why he said there in Romans 1 again. <laughs> Sorry. Verse 5, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations to his name. You know what man knows? Listen, folks, if you talk to sinners about where they're going to die and go to heaven or hell, where they're going to spend eternity, you are giving them Paul's gospel. So when you begin to talk about and they and they begin to object and say, wait a minute, who, who said that? And you say, well, our apostle Paul did. Now who's on their radar of attack? Paul is. Well, don't you know he's a Jew? How's a Jew supposed to come over here and talk to us Gentiles? Don't you know? I know who Paul is. He's a male chauvinist pig. Don't you read his comments about women? keeping silent and being in their place and all this. Don't you know? And they just unleash on Paul. And Paul says, it's slanderous. It's not true. 2 Timothy 2, verse number 9, verse 7, Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Remember when we started in Romans 1? about Jesus Christ according to the seed of David. And Paul starts his epistles with about the seed of David and being who we're going to be talking about. And he ends his epistles with what? Seed of David, Jesus Christ, who we're talking about. You think that gets lost on the lost world out there? Not at all. They pick up on that stuff. Verse 9. Well, the verse, in the verse 8, according to my gospel... Wherein I suffer trouble as a what? Evildoer. Paul never broke a rule in his life. You know how you know that? He's a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He said at the feet of Gamaliel, he knew the law. He was a legal expert. If you left Paul in charge of your home and you left a stack of $100 bills... Don't, I, don't have, I don't have 100. You leave a stack of money on there. You know what would, you, what would happen when you come back? It would be still sitting there, if not straightened up in, 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 in neat little piles for you. Why? Thou shalt not steal. He would never have done it. They have him in jail. You know why the Jews got mad at Paul, threw him in jail? Because he preached that Christ died for your sins and rose again the third day was buried and rose again the third day. And that that message goes to everybody. Read the end of Acts 28. They listened to him up to one word. That word was the word Gentile. We're going to the Gentiles now. You see, they threw him in jail and, per and prosecuted him under the law because he believed, one, well, he said there was a resurrection. <laughs> and half the group didn't believe in resurrection, so... Paul, in his defense over there, by the way, in front of Aquila and, and I'm sorry, Festus and, and so forth, was, hey, wait a minute, you guys do believe in the resurrection. I'll prove it to you. Anyway, I'm off there. Even as an evildoer under bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Come back to Romans 3. The thing is, is Paul has been, is dragged into the accusation now. So you have man's closing argument here. The defense had, the, the prosecution had laid in the charges, chapter 1, 18 to, 20, to 32 there. The judge says, you got something to say? Defense, your turn. 
they jump up. Yes, we object. How dare you say this about us? Man, we're good people. Can't you see? We're pillars of the community. Or we're the dregs of society. And they lay in their defense. And Paul says, you know what? Defense number one, we are not as bad as the other guys. You know what Paul says? That's fine. God's not a respecter of persons. You're all equally sinners. Not one higher than the other. You're all there. Then the Gentile stands there. I hope you see and understand what they're doing. Because this is the great white throne judgment that they're standing in front of. And he says, wait a minute, you didn't give me the law. That law was given to that group of people over there. We never had the law. And Paul says, prosecutor stands and says, yeah, but by nature you did the things in the law. So you did have a heart. You did have a conscience. By the way, the self-righteous claim proves they have a conscience because what? I'm not as bad as the other guy. So I have a conscience. The ignorance of the law claim says I have a conscience. I did it by nature. Then the Jew stands up and goes, yeah, we had the law, but you know what? I'm a Jew. Here's my ancestry. So I belong to the family of God already. I should, I should get a pass. And he goes, hang on a minute. You missed the whole point. It isn't about your ancestry or your ceremonies or any of that stuff. It's about your heart. And even though you had the law, you didn't do the law. You didn't keep the law. By the way, what was the law going to do to them? Prove them that they could what? Not keep it. <laughs> Not do it. And they missed it. And he, and he says, and, and by the way, your advantage is that you had the word of God. So you were at an, an advantage over everybody. And you still biffed it. So the defense rise and says, okay, one, one more argument. We're going to call into account the credibility of the prosecutor and of the judge. And we're going to demand a retrial and a movement of hearing, a, a, a movement away, because this judge is prejudiced against my clients. He's not trustworthy. He's not, faith, uh, he's not faithful. He's not trustworthy. He's not, he's not righteous. He keeps spewing stuff about being righteous and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And you know what? He isn't that. And the prosecutor is just as bad. Don't you know God needs us to be who we are? So why in the world is he judging us? Paul says, God forbid. Let God be true and every man a liar. So the defense says, one more sidebar, Your Honor, sidebar. Before the prosecution, verse 9, gets to do his closing, we would just like to make a statement. You're welcome, God. You're welcome that I'm an unrighteous sinner. You're welcome because we're doing you a favor. So you know what? We shouldn't be at fault. We should be let go. God, we know that you created all this to make yourself look better. 
And we're glad that we participated in that for you and for your benefit. So you're welcome, God. And we know that you did all that so that you could shower us with your love and with your grace. So we should get a pass. And the prosecutor rises. And he says, what then? What is all this? <laughs> Are we better than they? No. In no wise. For we have before proved both Jew and Gentiles that they are all under sin. Your Honor, do you see their twisted mind? Do you see their evil mind? They think they're better. We'll pick up, by the way, next time, verse 9, okay? Do you see, man, do you see that, Lord? You know what we've proven? We've proven our case, Lord. We've proven our case, Judge. Guess what? They're all guilty. They're all sinners. And from 9 down to verse number 20, Paul's going to close up the case and the argument, and the verdict in verse 19 and 20 is going to be given. And the verdict is guilty, obviously, we know that. But what I want you to see is that when you're dealing with people, you see it today. Look around the nonsense on the news that's been going on. Whether you're for it, against it, with it, or what, I don't, that's not the, let's look at how man is behaving. It's an act of desperation. It's, it's, and you look at it and you go, how can they be that way? I read one guy on the post, where are their parents at? Same place that they were back in their day. What? No, you know what? Man's a sinner. And you know what they need? They need the light of the glorious gospel to be shined in onto them. But you need to understand when you're talking to people where they're coming from. You were there. Most of us were there. We pulled our, I, I knew a buddy of mine, he was as religious, he made some of you guys look pathetic in his re, religiousosity, I call it. He never, the church doors were open, he was there. He never missed it because he thought that's what was getting him to glory. Until one day we were playing basketball down on the beach in San Clemente and he happened to be on my team and one of the guys did a little GD slip, and he's like, hey, we don't talk like that out here. And he got all puffy, puffy. And I was like, man, you need to chill out. He goes, well, I go to church. Remember? I said, I go to church too. So now here we are on the basketball court having an argument, and they're running up and down with the ball. And I said, well, maybe we ought to talk about this later. <laughs> Let's finish the game. And we got to talking, and I just asked him, where do you know you're going to spend eternity? Oh, I'm going to heaven. How, how, how are you getting there? Well, I'm, and he just listed, I mean, everything under the sun. Romans 2. And I said, well, you know what? All that and plus this basketball game is going to get you in hell. And he's like, how dare you? And I said, well, I tell you what. Why don't you consider Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? You know where it's, I know those verses are great verses. I said, I know you think that. Here, read them again, but put you in it. 
because all you're doing is boasting. Whoa. He goes, you know what he did? He, two days later, he called me and says, we need to talk. I go, okay. Uh, you know, I went armed. <laughs> you know, you meet the unsaved people that aren't in the religious crowd, and what are they pulling? I'm not as bad as the other guy. I'm this, I'm that. God need his, needs, I, you know, what do they need? The glorious light to shine in on them. You don't have to preach at them. I love that thing Oscar Woodall, when he was alive, his little line was, has anyone never loved you enough to ask you where you will spend eternity? And you know, if you ask that of somebody, if any, has anyone ever loved you enough, you know they, they have to say no. Because nobody probably has ever asked them where they're going to spend eternity. So if you could know, would you like to know? Just a little smooth little line. Has anyone ever loved you enough to ask you where you're going to spend eternity? That's what's happening. The case has been proven. Guess what? For all have sinned. Okay? Now we'll pick up in verse 9, get down through verse 20, I hope, <laughs> next time. And uh, maybe take some chunks here and, and look at this. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for... The, the study, the look into it, the courtroom, and uh, to see how man thinks and, and the desperation and to know that you lovingly let them have their say and yet also provided the plea agreement for them to get out. And Lord, I just thank you for the folks here that took the plea agreement and are out. We'll give you the praise and the glory and the honor. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we'll see you back at 11.